Making those final arrangements after the death of a loved one is never easy, hampered even more by the trauma and cloud of grief. Randy with Stokes, Proc and Munt and the Cremation Society tells us funeral directors are experienced and their goal is to facilitate your healing. Because when there's a death, it's traumatic to most people. So we're dealing with their acute grief. One of our roles is to comfort them and, you know, and give them order where there's disorder because they don't know what to do. They're in shock, they're numb, and they need somebody to lead them down the right path. And for the most part, that's what funeral directors do or try to do. Sometimes people know what they want, but they don't always know what they need. And that's us to give them options. Randy and the folks at Stokes, Proc, and Munt, along with the Cremation Society, are available to answer any of your questions, including pre-planning your arrangements. Check them out online and on social media. In USA, I'm Scott Montesano, and this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Another week is upon us for Talk of the Town, and here we go, the last full week of August. Hey, hey, what about that rain? we had here on Tuesday in the Chippewa Valley. We woke up, it was dark, it was cloudy, it was rainy, it was stormy, and it just stayed that way for pretty much the entire day. A, a, rain, a, a, a gully washer here in, uh, in Eau Claire and throughout the Chippewa Valley. Now, there has been some damage in the area, most of it uh, superficial, power out, trees down but if you had some damage obviously it's not necessarily that kind of fun of an event or that sort of uh, innocent of an event I know people get flooding issues when we have rain like we have particularly in the morning where it just comes down non-stop in a short burst of time and I know people have had trees land on fences and all of that stuff uh, but uh, still the rain quite welcome the the lawns were very crunchy in the last several days uh, the rain is what the rain is mother nature remains undefeated so uh, hopefully uh, you and yours were not uh, negatively impacted by the weather event of today and thankfully it wasn't Severe. That doesn't mean that there isn't that the people did not again lose power. There were businesses on the north side of town that lost power. I saw our friends at Mom's Kitchen had to shut down uh, today. So obviously there are ramifications uh, to to that. But again, uh, we got rain today. We might get some more rain. Before the end of the week. So uh, keep that in mind. We might be getting a lot more rain uh, before all is said and done here in the Chippewa Valley. Hey, if it is going to be rainy, if it is going to be moist out there, you're going to want to stay inside. You're going to want to do some fun things, aren't you? And that includes following us here at Eau Claire Hometown Media. And that may include you wanting to get some food from some place. You know what? The Hungry Italian Restaurant Reviews are back. Check those out. Hungry Italian Restaurant Reviews right on our website. Check those out. We've got three local places 
that we have reviewed. Check those out. Hungry Italian Restaurant Reviews are back. Also, we got a couple of great podcasts that have just dropped in the last few days. If you are a mom and you are in business, you're going to want to hear these podcasts. Mom... Moms and business, balancing act. How do you balance the two of them together? Obviously, I'm not a mother. I am a father, but I'm not, I'm not a mother. Uh, we have a couple of great podcasts that discuss this in the last couple of days. Banker with a Beer, which dropped last Thursday. Check that out. Local entrepreneur who's starting up her own toy company, and she talks about being a mom and an entrepreneur. And in our latest edition of Real True Talk from the ladies at True Living Real Estate, they talk about being moms and realtors and balancing the two of them uh, together. And in both cases, whether it's the, the young lady who started up her own toy company, and you can check that out with Banker with a Beer, or the Moms and the Realtors True Living podcast, check that out. Yeah, they've got some freedom of time, you would say, because they're not working a quote-unquote nine-to-five where a boss tells them what they have to do. But in some cases, it makes it more difficult because when you're running your own company and when you are a realtor, you are running your own sort of personal company, then you, you really there, there's a guilt you fight Whenever you are not doing something for your company. I know I fight it. Well, these uh, these young ladies talk about it on those two podcasts. And again, we check those out. All of our great podcasts at EauClairHometownRadio.com. EauClairHometownRadio. Uh, should say EcHometownRadio.com. If I don't know the website, after three and a half years of doing this, it might be, might be time to close the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> echometownradio.com hey friend us uh, friend us on facebook obviously uh, smash that like button smash that follow button smash that subscribe button as the kids like to say on spotify now we're on TuneIn, we're on the iheart app we're on all of these places but really subscribe to us on spotify our friends at spotify check that out well, how about we get into today's show? We got Todd. We, a story that's been kind of hanging out there. And a great story in the Leader-Telegram last week kind of brought it back to light. And, and I thought it was a great article that provides some framing for what we've been talking about. And that is the issue with the Seven Mile Creek Landfill. And the town of Seymour, which has been in the news for much of the last number of years. The landfill is expanding. What do the residents there deserve? And a great comparison article done by the Leader-Telegram. In a nutshell, and we've talked about it before. We've said the residents up there deserve what's coming to them. In a nutshell, area residents have been getting the shaft in terms of both Payments and the big thing that the people up there are looking for, property value protection. You look at other comparable landfill situations around the state 
And granted, a lot of those deals were set up 25 years ago. A lot of these were set up in the late 90s, but they're getting more money and they're getting property protection with a few exceptions, but the exceptions don't fit what Seven Mile Creek is, that landfill. In terms of payment, some of these areas are getting in that four to $5,000 a year, socioeconomic, sociological payments, if you will, for the neighbors of the landfill. And some are stretched out a half mile, a mile, two miles, what have you. But people in that area get a check cut to them for four or $5,000 a year. Locally, right now they're getting nothing. The sitting committee is asking for $1.5, $1,500. That's, that's all they're asking for. There's another citizens group asking for a bit more, but they're not asking for the four to five K. They're, they're okay with less money. What they want, the local people, is that property value protection that other landfills are providing. That's where the agreement stalls the most between the local people and the new landfill operators. But when one considers the land, and, and, and there are some landfills in the state and something that a lot of you point out, you say, hey, these people moved here. They knew there was a landfill. They don't deserve any type of property protection. Heck, they probably don't deserve any payment. They knew. And there's an argument to be made there. But here, here's one thing to consider. That landfill in the town of Seymour was expected to be sealed by now. It was not expected to be growing, expanding. It was expected to reach its capacity, and that would be it. In that regard, yeah, it's not brand new, but when you look at the size of the expansion, which is going to pretty much make it look like a brand new landfill, it's justifiable to now start talking about and getting property value protections. As we always say, with the NIMBY people, the not-in-my-backyard people, whether it was the people with... That, that's, that block that development in the town of Washington or people that just don't want their neighbor to put a fence up. As we always say with NIMBYs, and the people in the town of Seymour are NIMBYs in this case, if a group must take on things for the rest of the area or the region, they should be compensated. I said in the town of Washington, the people up there were looking at it completely wrong. They should have been looking at saying, hey, if we, we back off our arguments, we want better roads, we want this, we want that, we want street lighting, all that stuff. I am all in support of the people up in the town of Seymour and the people around this, pro around this landfill that want a yearly payment but want to get their property values protected. It makes sense. Well, I am all in, in favor of that, and we'll see how that story continues to go. Something that happened over this weekend, there was another event at River Prairie. Doesn't it seem like everything's going on at River Prairie now? There was Multicultural Fest at River Prairie 
on Sunday. Multicultural fest and a variety of cultures in the area uh, came together. Latin cultures, uh, Asian cultures came together, various forms of dance and music. And I think there was some, some food out there as well. It was the first one of these multicultural fests. It kind of morphed out of another event that involved uh, the police and a uh, local Hmong organization. Uh, but in and of itself, this was the first uh, multicultural fest at River Prairie. My only complaint, they openly called it the first annual. And you can never have a first annual. I get it. They, they want to have more. They plan on having more. They plan on this becoming a long-standing tradition. I hope it is. I hold no ill will towards that. But you can't have the first annual. You can't have... You, you, it can be the second annual, third annual. Annual means it's happened before. This hasn't happened before. You should have called it the inaugural multicultural fest. Calling it the first annual, well, that's like that's that's like having uh, having cheese, but there's no crust. It's not a pizza. If you've got cheese, melted cheese somehow, and no crust, that's not a pizza. You gotta have the layer before you can start talking about it being layered. <laughs> uh Something else that happened on Sunday, there was another rally for rail service. This one took place at Phoenix Park. And you had a, uh, a few city leaders were there, the people locally that are very much uh, out in front of getting rail service to this community. As an aside, when, when I first came in the town in 2006, there were a couple of things. A few things when I first came in the town. And some things have stayed true. Some things have happened, all that. When I first came in 2006, people talked about, boy, it'd be nice if downtown ever turned around. And that new Royal Credit Union building over there at what we're calling, uh, over there at the confluence, you know, that may, that may be the start of something. And it turned out it was the start of something. There was a burgeoning local music scene in this area in 2006 that has since kind of dried up in the form of there's not many live venues you, you, you don't have the people you don't have the the live acts at bars like you had 15 20 years ago and kind of the passion for music in this area is still there but it has drifted in another direction and in 2006 people were pretty darn sure that rail service was going to be coming to Eau Claire soon and they were sure rail service was going to be close to coming to Eau Claire in 2010 and 2013 and 2015 and 2017. Wake me up when we have actual movement. I don't think it's any more an issue of rallying support. People are on board with this. And I get that part of the reason of the support is trying to make sure that certain things get passed at higher levels of government that provide funding. I understand that, but we need to have action at this point. People want it. There's been enough, enough uh, studies that say it's viable, all that. But what you have right now is a bunch of people in a circle going, hey, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. You want to do it? Yeah, I think it's good. We should do it. Yeah, let's do it. But nobody's actually doing it. Everyone's just sitting in a circle saying it's a good idea. 
and that eventually you're, you're, you're loud enough and more people join the circle. But nobody that can actually put shovel in the ground and start to lay out tracks has started to do anything. So right now, when it comes to rail service, I'm for it. A lot of you are for it. And we may start nitpicking which, how much would you use it and all that. That's fine. But I don't think there's anybody that's against rail service in this area. Right now, though, what we're at when it comes to rail service, it's like talking about where to eat. You come home from work and you're going to go out to dinner, but nobody, you talk about where to eat. Everybody wants to go eat, but you can't really find a consensus. Nobody's really against a place, but they're not really for it either. And eventually you go, hey, we're going to go to Bob's Bar and Grill. And everybody goes, all right, let's go to Bob's Bar and Grill. But you keep talking about going to Bob's Bar and Grill, but you never go. And that's where we're at right now. We've come to the agreement. We all want rail service. Let's get rail service. Okay? How much is it going to cost? We haven't even been told how much is it going to cost and let's foot the bill. It's not even at that point yet. I'm for it. I think a lot of you are for it. Uh, over the weekend, uh, Daniel Peggs, his plea deal was accepted down in Madison. Uh, pled guilty to what turned out to be child pornography charges. Uh, and at first, a lot of you, and myself included, go, eh, for what he was accused, and he, not that child pornography charges are, 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 are minor offenses, but boy, it seemed like they, they wanted him for a lot more. And this is where, again, you defer to the experts. <laughs> we have got a big problem with that, by the way, in this country, where we don't tend to want to defer to the experts. We all want to pretend we know more than we do. People with Fierce Freedom, which is that local organization that very much is involved in combating human trafficking. We've chatted with them before on our various podcasts. The people with Fierce Freedom say these types of plea deals are common and they accept these. They say it's good. So if they're okay with it, if they are kind of give their stamp of approval, then so do I on the punishment that is likely to be coming to Daniel Peggs. Uh, this keeps the case from dragging out, out of the trial system, which can extend the hurt for the victims. That's what Fierce Freedom says. Now, Daniel Peggs' sentencing will be in November. He faces a maximum of 10 years, and pretty much it's all laid out for the judge. Looks like Daniel Peggs will likely get the maximum. The only bit of controversy going into last week, and it really was in controversy, was Daniel Peggs' ex-wife. And remember, I don't, even, I, I don't even think they had finished handcuffing him and she was already uh, <laughs> divorcing him. And, and, and God bless her for that. You know, if she had decided to stand with him, her and their kids then I would have supported that as well. But she was very quick to cut ties with this man who, as we've said before, he, 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 he could have been an area leader and he pissed it all away. The only thing about last weekend, and it's not even that controversial, his ex-wife had orchestrated through Facebook a letter-writing campaign to get people to write letters to the judge and to uh, pretty much provide victim statements for how bad Daniel Peggs is and how he's impacted 
her life, the, the community, the family, all of that. It's something that Daniel Pegg's lawyer didn't like. And, and he made a valid argument. Daniel Pegg's lawyer made a valid argument, not one that I agree with. And ultimately, the judge said, nope, the letters can keep coming and I'm okay with it. But this wasn't necessarily a, sw- a slimy lawyer move. Daniel Pegg's lawyer argued that, well, technically, the, the victim here is the young lady who was underage and caught up in all of this. She's the victim, not Daniel Pegg's wife. She was caught up in this, albeit indirectly, but she's not the actual victim, so she shouldn't be giving victim statements or getting other people to give victim statements. So you're, you're, you're kind of trying to draw a line and stay, and stay on one side of a line, if you will. Uh, but the, 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 the judge said flat out, hey, the letters can keep coming uh, for that. So that was the only bit of story that was going in. I, nobody really thought that the plea deal was not going to be accepted. And now we'll see what happens with the sentencing in November. Every time I see Daniel Peggs, that story that comes up. And remember, that, that story came. During a period in our area, we had some juicy stories. We had the Joe Luganbill fiasco, then Daniel Peggs, and you're thinking, boy, we got a lot. And that was the first th- two and a half months of uh, 2020, and then, uh, <laughs> then we know all the rest of 2020 went. Uh, speaking of things in the court system, the city of Eau Claire sent out a press release today. You'll see it on the news tonight. At the Council of the City's Insurance Provider, Wisconsin Municipal Mutual Insurance Company, WMMMIC for short, I guess, the city has entered into settlement agreements with a pair of outstanding civil rights lawsuits. And you go, huh? Eyebrows raised? Well, we're, we're settling? What are we settling? Well, the two incidents, and these are stories that have kind of remained there in the background that don't really get a lot of talk. We don't talk about them a lot, but these are a couple of city police, uh, city police related shootings. City related police shootings. You have the one incident, Tyler Holty, an incident from 2015 in which he was shot by a pair of officers. Multiple investigations deem the force to be necessary. Tyler Holty, though, filed a civil rights lawsuit. Then the other incident from 2017, Chester Stabenow, in this case, again, outside agencies deem the force necessary. But in 2020, when Stabenow's civil rights lawsuit hit. Police Chief Matt Rokas, upon further inspection, didn't feel it was it was necessary the force, but still was not uh, at the highest standards. In his view, ultimately the officer involved resigned. Basically, it was elbowed out the door. 
you want to have an opinion on this. I want to have an opinion on this, but this is like trying to turn over an old motor and it sputters and you just can't get it revved up. Without more details, without diving through all of the paperwork, it's hard to justify an opinion on either side. You're working mostly off of prior... Uh, you're working mostly off of either lo loose information you have gotten from secondhand sources or the media or you are working off of your own prior biases if you're somebody that is all for the police then you really want to support the police if you're against the police let's, let's not for, let's not forget that there's a number of people like that as well then you look at this a completely different way on one hand I want to thoroughly support our police, and I'm irritated that our community must pay these two criminals. They're both convicted criminals, Holty and Stabenow, and both, if you look at the incident reports, which of course come from one side, justify that these individuals were being shot. And regardless, they were, they were not innocent men in what they were doing. I'm irritated that our community must pay these two criminals. And if you're just settling to bring it to an end, I'm very pissed off. I'm very pissed off. I'd fight it. If you think you're innocent, I'd fight it. Why are you, why are you, why are you settling this? Now, we don't know how much they've settled for. But how much is, why are you settling? It's the old adage, whine until you get your way. And I don't like Holty and Stabino being rewarded. However, if you're settling and thus admitting some level of guilt, and even if you're saying I'm not guilty, well, you're not, you're not willing to fight this. So clearly, if, you're, if you don't think you're going to win, if you don't think uh, it's worth fighting, then there is some level of guilt. Remember, we're all guilty to some level of everything. All right. We've all lied to our significant other about uh, the meal they cooked at some point. We're all guilty. If you are settling and thus admitting some guilt in some way, so be it. Actions may have been deemed okay, but perhaps a deeper look with more evidence and, of course, talking under oath may change things. So that's why I say it's hard to have a deep opinion because we don't get both sides. There is no court case. There's no, it, we're not going to see all the stuff laid out in front of us. So you want to have a deep opinion. And I think that's one of the big issues that we have in this country is everybody thinks they have to have a strong opinion on everything. This is a case right here that, for instance, my initial gut feeling is annoyance that these two get a a settlement however we don't know their side of the story and we're not going to get their side of the story in a court setting so it's okay to take a knee on having an opinion and sometimes you're just presented information and it doesn't mean you have to do anything with that information at that very moment something in the story you never know when this story is going to pop up again in another situation.
It's history. It's history. We don't do enough to teach history. We don't do enough to learn not just old-timey history, lumber barons and all of that in this area. We don't do enough to even look back at how things have happened and how we can make them better in the future. We, we tend to quickly askew things. And speaking of history, we ended with this. Uh, the Eau Claire School District report came out from the Eau Claire School District at the recent school board meeting, and this had been talked about within the school district for the last little bit as well. They've got a bit of an issue that came up last year. In high school, failing grades were up. A's were down as far as the grades they give. Now, again, there's a very much subjective, objective nature to grades. Some of it's subjective, some of it's objectives, but failing grades were up, A's were down. Now, it had been steady for about 10 years. Lots of A's, not that many failing grades. Then you had a noticeable difference last year which is why this is a story. Noticeable difference last year. Now, some areas like St. Paul, Minnesota, saw huge dips. And that's not the case here, but they went from about 4% failing grades up to 10 to 14% failing grades at Memorial and North. It all makes sense. It's, it all makes sense. We all know what happened last year. You had kids going virtual, then they were going hybrid and all this stuff. It, it was tough. It was tough. It's understandable. Now, we can sit back and whine, and I'm not, I still think what Eau Claire did last year was probably the best scenario of it. All right? Is it better to have the kids in school? Absolutely. But hindsight's always twenty twenty, and I think what they were doing last year was perfect. As remember, we're in the we were in the midst of a pandemic. We tend to forget that. And if you'd had huge outbreaks, what would have been saying then? So I, I side with oh the Eau Claire School District and what they were doing. But now we've got to work at this. And also the information we have in front of us now that you did see changes and you saw good students that struggled. That has got to shape your opinions going forward, and that includes any potential things you want to do this winter if we see a push for some changes. You've got to keep that in mind. It, in-person school turns out to be much more important than we already thought it was, and you're getting more and more statistical evidence of that, and that includes right here in this area. Putting kids in school is not simply daycare. And you heard some people argue that early on in the pandemic. Well, parents want the kids in school because they have no other place to send them. Well, now we got statistical evidence that the education actually does hurt. One thing I hadn't thought of, because remember, both my kids did okay. They did okay last year with virtual and hybrid. They did okay, but they weren't high school age. Something I hadn't thought of, when you had some of these older kids, the high school students doing virtual, they were the older siblings in the house, and they were de facto child care providers for younger siblings. So yes, the older kids, they know the technology. Getting on, signing on, none of that stuff should have confused the kids. They knew how to get on and, and do meets and all that stuff. 
but it doesn't mean they could provide the same attention as they could in the classroom. And not just because they were being lazy or not as passionate. It just wasn't there for them. They could not stay entirely focused. They had other distractions around them, and it wasn't simply the TV was on. It wasn't simply they didn't want to have that passion. It's hard to feel that passion when they were doing what they were doing. Well, that'll do it for today's edition of Talk of the Town. Make sure to ring yourself out. Come back all dry and ready to go again on Thursday. On behalf of everyone who made this podcast possible, I'm Scott Montesano saying there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Make sure to take advantage of it. And until next time, so long, everybody.